welcome to the flagship program here on the Funnel Radio Network. A network that's grown to over 13 programs now for at-work listeners like you. Our host today for Funnel Radio, the man who started it all, Jim Obermeyer. Hey, Jim. Thank you, Paul Roberts. Paul Roberts is our announcer and our producer for all programs on the Funnel Radio channel. Our guest today is Celeste Lumsford. As Managing Director of CSO Insights, Celeste guides CSO Insights research focus areas and define its marketing deliverables. An experienced business leader, Celeste has led a range of consulting product development professional services, and operations functions. She has consulted with sales and service organizations for more than 20 years, helping them acquire, grow, and retain client relationships. She's authored two books, Secrets of Top-Performing Salespeople and Strategies That Win Sales. She's also written a lot of articles on sales effectiveness, found in Selling Power, Entrepreneur, Chief Learning Officer, Destination CRM, etc. She's proud to have supported some of the world's most recognized names, including... AAA, Alliance Bernstein, American Express, Aero Electronics, Citibank, Verizon, it goes on and on. She earned both her bachelor's degree and MA from Florida State University, and I can see in the background that she has something on her wall from Florida State. Celeste, welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Now, what do you have on the wall of your office there? Tell everybody what you've got up there. So I have a like a, a tapestry on the wall of my home office, and what I do is I stick tickets to it from important Florida State University football games that I've been to, and some have been glorious victories and some not so much, but I keep the ticket stubs up there. People don't know that we can see each other today as we make this recording because we couldn't have you on the live program, but you will be on the recorded program program next Thursday. Tell us about the mission of CSO Insights. What is the company's mission? What CSO Insights focuses on is how do we help sales leaders, so people who are sales executives, sales enablement leaders, sales ops leaders, how do we help them make decisions in a data-driven way? So everybody's trying to change or tweak their sales organization, and so what information could we provide them about what we see having the most impact on sales, what the best are doing, that makes those decisions a little quicker to come to. CSO Insights is the research division of Miller-Hyman Group. We've been part of Miller-Hyman Group for the past, this would be the fourth year. We were part, became part of it in 2015. And we've been collecting research in this space for about 22 years. So our mission hasn't changed, but we're more closely aligned with the Miller-Hyman Group over the last couple of years, which gives us some additional people that can participate in our surveys and be part of our research community. That's great. Now, if someone wants to be part of CSO Insights and get your reports, is there a membership fee? Uh, how can how can sales managers participate more readily with you? Absolutely. There's a couple ways. Uh, you can become a commercial member of CSO Insights, which gives you access to our research library and all of our research notes, and there's a, a fee associated with that bargain. The other way to get some of our content is to participate in our surveys. So at any given time on the CSOinsights.com website, we're recruiting sales leaders to give us their opinions to help us understand what's going on in their world. Anybody who participates in our survey does become part of our research community, and they get a complimentary newsletter from us each month that gives them a, a free asset of some kind. So they get a sneak peek of some of that research and some advanced information from our findings. Well, I'm up on your site now, and I see that you've got the fourth annual sales enablement study, which mm-hmm. has just come out, I believe. 
you had the 2018-2019 sales performance study, which we're going to talk about today. Then you've got the 2018 sales talent study and the sales operations optimization study. And there's more there. You guys are really busy. For sales managers that are part of the organization from a commercial standpoint, I think they're getting huge benefit. Now let's get right into the report, Selling in the Age of Ceaseless Change. It's six chapters, 37 pages. There is a smaller version of that that just gives the highlights. And there's got so much information in this thing. I've read it three times, and I keep underlining (laughs) things. So I've got 50% of the study is underlined. Tell us what was surprising this year. And if you can also, before you do that, give us the names of the chapters, and then let's get into those surprises. So the way that the report is laid out is we talk about sales performance overall. What do we see as the trends? And specifically, we use a, something we call the SRP framework or the Sales Relationship Process Framework. That's something we've been using to diagnose performance for about the last 10 years. And we track that every year to see if there's market differences in what's driving success. Then you'll see beyond that, what we have is chapters devoted to each of the four major strategies that sales leaders are using in 2019 to drive more results. So clearly, a sales leader has to worry about all of these things, but we find that the best are usually really focusing or doubling down on one of the four. So it would be, how do I get more leads into my funnel? How do I get more people to talk to? The second is, once I've got them in there, how do I close business with new logos? get new accounts into my network and generating revenue. The third then is how do I extend or expand the existing accounts that I have? And the fourth is win rate. So what we end to the report is we give more lessons learned from sales leaders. Any sales leader out there is trying to tweak their sales system in some way. And we wanted to find out what had they learned from that? What initiatives had they undertaken that they had stopped because they didn't work? Or if they could redesign their sales organization from scratch, what's the one thing they would really love to change that they're afraid to tweak now? So we end it with some peer advice from others who are making those transformation decisions. So you just don't tell everyone what's wrong with the world. You actually tell them what to do about it. Is that it? Exactly. There are millions of sales leaders out in the world, and our studies are always global. So we make sure that we're collecting information from a range of different industries and geographies. And everybody is trying something And what we do is we collect both the practices, so what are people doing, as well as the metrics. And then we correlate the two together to say, hey, there's a million things you could do, but organizations who are, for example, doing a better job at getting leads into the funnel, here's the three things that seem to be different about them versus the other thousand people in our study. Also, very often a problem, everybody says they want to do more. And they intend to do more, or they currently are doing more, but you look at their metrics and you can see they're just as sad as they were last year. Exactly. What is so surprising about this report this year that really interested you? I'm always interested because I love research, so I highlight all of my research reports. (laughs) But the thing that I think struck me the most this year is that for the third year in a row, we saw revenue plan attainment go up. Overall, most organizations made the number. So this is around 95% or so is the average revenue plan attainment. So most people are making the number, which is good. But then we also collect all those practices and operational metrics underneath. And what was surprising is that there was a big difference between revenue plan attainment and the rest of those metrics. So, for example, the percentage of wins, the win rate for forecasted deals, it didn't go up. Percentage of salespeople who are making their numbers, it didn't go up in a statistical way. Conversion rate, 
didn't go up as well. And then since we've been doing these kinds of studies for so long, there's a series of practices like salesperson behaviors that we ask about. We change those from year to year to make sure that they are current. But there's a set that we ask every year so we can trend. And that set is about 16 different behaviors. When we ask sales leaders to rate, you know, you look at your sales organization, how effective are they at, for example, opportunity planning? 15 of the 16 actually were worse than they were five years ago. So you take a step back and you say, well, how can you be making your number if you don't believe your salespeople, their performance is as high as you would like, and you aren't seeing these efficiency and productivity numbers go up? And what we found is that over two-thirds of sales organizations were growing. So they were throwing a lot of people at the problem, but not necessarily making those people higher performers or more efficient and more productive. And so for us, that raises a red flag because we look at this data over time and we think, okay, so what's happening is economies around the world are actually generally pretty good right now and have been for the last several years. But if these underlying indicators are not good, if everybody's riding on a rising tide, the question becomes, what happens when the tide goes out? So if there's something that happens in Europe due to Brexit, if you know we start to see some economies, maybe even just bubble, that could be really dangerous for sales organizations if the way that they're making their number is because of the market being good, not so much because their sales machine is finely tuned. My first reaction was when you told me that numbers are up, but so many other things are down that I thought someone's lying to you. Yeah. So their numbers are up. You're right. The only thing that makes sense is they're throwing more effort towards it. But mm-hmm. at the same time, you mentioned in here that sales lead, the creation marketing programs uh, seem to be just as poor as they've been in the past. And so they're, they're doing it through brute force. If you add 25 salespeople instead of just increasing your marketing budget by 5%, which is going to be more expensive. Mm-hmm. Chances are, instead of making the current salespeople more productive, you just increase the number of salespeople, which seems to be the case. They're all closing about the same level, but their sales expense has gone up, and therefore their profits may not be as good. What do you think about that? Exactly. And so we think part of this has become you know, how you calculate cost of sales has become a little less concrete or a little bit less consistent in many organizations. What happens is when we see the marketplace become complex. So right now on, a, on the B2B side, a complex sale takes about six months for a buyer to make a decision and usually involves 6.4 or so decision makers, right? So it's complex. What sales organizations did is say, okay, well, I better figure out how do I gear up to respond to that complexity. What they did is they added more complexity. So the average sales organization is growing by about 9%. They have about 10 sales technology tools with another four that are planned for. They're adding new functions like sales enablement. They are adding customer success functions. They are adding sales development reps. They're throwing all kinds of solutions at the problem, again, because they're making their number and have the ability to do that. Because those things don't sit on a really firm sales process foundation, you know, see, we talk a lot in the report about sales process. They don't actually save reps any time and don't actually make reps any better. And they're all good ideas, right? We think people should have sales enablement. They should have sales tech tools. They should have, you know, resources to help them with lead gen. But just throwing all those things at it without integrating them together, without putting them on top of a really firm sales process, 
means that you are, again, it's a brute force approach as opposed to refinement, productivity, performance, efficiency, those sorts of things. That is a huge finding. We've been speaking with Celeste Lumford covering this subject of selling in an age of ceaseless change in 2018-19. She's given us some very interesting insights on how people seem to be making their numbers, but apparently the sales expense line is going up. The tech stack is expanding. They're putting brute force, not marketing force, towards things. And then what's going to happen when the markets start to go through their normal cycle? We'll be back in just a moment and see if Celeste can answer that question. Paul, over to you. You know, CSO Insights is the independent research arm within Miller Hyman Group, a company that's dedicated to improving the performance and productivity of complex B2B sales, maybe like the ones that you experience. Miller Hyman Group offers expansive training, consulting, research, and technology solutions that continue to define the modern approach to sales and service in order to empower today's sellers for tomorrow's opportunities. Don't wait till tomorrow. Check it today. MillerHymanGroup.com. Just like it sounds. M-I-L-L-E-R-H-E-I-M-A-N. MillerHymanGroup.com. All right, with that, let's pick it back up, the second half of our interview. Thank you, Paul. It's nice to hear from our sponsors today. We've been speaking with Celeste Lundford. She's the Senior Research Director, and she really runs CSO Insights. We've been discussing this report, Selling in an Age of Ceaseless Change, and some of the things that she's reported today are very disturbing to a great extent. Celeste, how many people participated in this study? So this year is 886 sales organizations around the world. So your plus or minus error rate is probably down to 2 or 3% with that many reporting. Yeah, and the good news is, you know, it's not completely dire. There were certainly organizations that we had uncovered that had a really firm footing. And that's what the gist of the report is, is that we think there's more vulnerability than organizations realize because they are making the number. Our recommendation for sales leaders and enablement and ops and others is while they're in this period of time to make sure they're really pulling back and looking at some of those underlying processes and figuring out, hey, am I making us move forward in a long-term basis? Will the sales organization just be better next year than it was this year? Will it be more resilient? Will it be more effective? And then at a more tactical level, while I'm doing that, I got a number to hit this year. What are the things, you know, what levers do I personally need to pull make sure that I'm getting to that number in a way that's going to help build the future as well. I've been a sales manager as a consultant for about 40 firms Mm -hmm. through the years, and you finally get to the point where you're going to pull all the lever. Yeah. If if things are not going well, you have a tendency to start pulling more than one, but you're hoping something clicks. You mentioned the word process. It goes back to the why, why, why. And you kind of implied that maybe with all these things going on, the tech stack, adding Mm -hmm. to all of the uh, different programs salespeople deal with and the marketing people deal with. Are you also implying that maybe these companies don't quite have the sales process down pat and fully defined, and therefore that could, if you just add brute force to it, that could give them numbers. But in tougher times, if the sales process is well-defined, a lot of things can go wrong very quickly. Absolutely. And not only was it not as defined as we was like, so we asked that question about sales process definition. About half the firm said it was either ad hoc, meaning that it differed by salesperson or team, or that it was informal, meaning, well, we have one and maybe we built it into the CRM at some point, but it's not really 
it's not really rigorous. We don't really follow it. Then you had another, you know, 35% or so, 40%. And so, yeah, we've got one. It's fairly formal. We teach people how to use it. But there was just small amounts, this, you know, I think it was roughly 20% that were like, you know, we actually use that sales process to drive our business. It's not just an element of our sales system. It really accelerates it. And what we found when we dug into that is that their definition of sales process and the way they went about it was a little bit more modern. So it's not just that I've got it defined and I have the metrics and the seller actions and the customer actions and I have metrics for each and it's built into my CRM, but it was also much more aligned to customer journey and customer path. So there was a lot of work that was pulling and deriving that definition out of information they had about their markets and their customers versus more of an internal exercise. And it also seemed to be much more what we call dynamic. So there was a lot more analytics built into it. So it was, we are executing on this process, which is made up of all these sub-processes. But we're collecting and harnessing all this data that we have in our organization, using analytics, developing insights. And we're going back and we're making that sales process dynamic or refining it. We might find out because of all this data that we collect in our opportunity planning tools, that our ideal customer profile that marketing uses needs to be tweaked a bit, or that our thoughts on forecast weights by stage, we might need to look at that again. So it's this ability to collect the data and come back, and I think that's what really separates a more modern discussion of sales process versus just the definition, which is still important, by the way, because half the people haven't done that. But it's that extra step, I think, that makes the difference. And out of the 20% they are doing this well, are they mainly larger organizations, smaller organizations? They tend to be larger, not so much because of the infrastructure required, just because larger organizations tend to be a little bit more formal. And to answer that question is we cut all the, the data by large company and small company and looked at the differences. And one of the things that we found is that smaller organizations were much more likely to have a customer-centric culture. They were more likely to align things to customer paths. They had slightly deeper customer relationships. They communicated internally better. But the problem was is they were much less likely to invest in something like a common sales process definition because the feeling was we're small enough, we can just communicate, we'll manually take care of that. And because of it, they're not able to scale as much. And so it wasn't so much that large organizations had so much more technology or, or a bigger sales ops department. It was more that I think they're just used to having the need for formality because they need it for consistency and scale. That's very interesting. A friend of mine who's a consultant and a mentor to me, Michael Alexander, has said the companies that don't have a sales process in place are playing the lottery. Uh, they don't have a business. They've got a lottery. That's what he basically says, and we've written several blog entries. What's really disturbing what you said is you use the terms ad hoc, informal, yeah. fairly <laughs> formal, <laughs> yeah. and then you got to the 20% that are doing it right. Yeah. That's disturbing, and yet it sounds like if they had a formal sales process and a formal lead generation program in place, tied to metrics, they would be probably in the top 5 or 10% of all their competitors. Do you think so? 
Absolutely. When we look at the people who do that kind of work, they always end up being in what we would consider sort of our best of the best, which is usually a selection of like 7% to go. To go. The problem is, is that takes, a, I think, a lot more work and reflection and data analysis. And to your point, if you're a sales leader, you are pulling all the levers you can to make that number. And while intuitively you know that you need to install a sales readiness team, empower your sales ops function, to be more analytic, to be more strategic. Those are all things you know you would want to do, but you still have a number to make. If you're publicly traded, you have a quarterly number. And so it's this balance of how do I kick the can forward to make the numbers I need to make while making the whole sales machine more effective for the future, while trying to minimize any disruption that I'm putting in front of my salespeople. But you got to want to. If you don't want to, it's not going to happen. And sales managers still don't want to. They still think this is a skill. They don't worry about data. The number of sales managers I've replaced through the years all comes back to they have no relationship with marketing. There is no marketing plan. There is no sales plan. They think they hire well. They don't train their salespeople well. They don't even know how to spell enablement, much less sales enablement. And they beat their people to death, and they hope that they win. And I've seen this at large organizations and small organizations. So it still comes back to that great sales process. You're doing a lot of good things here. Now, you've got a report on sales enablement. They can download the summaries as well as the full report. Am I right? If Anybody can come in and do that, right? Yeah, absolutely. So once a report has been released to our members, released to our survey takers, once we've processed and gone through that data at a certain point afterwards, we do release that to the open market because from our perspective, the more people that are using research to sell, the better. That is great. Now, how would someone get this particular report and plus the one on sales enablement? Can they just go to your site and go to resources? Yeah, absolutely. So go to CSOinsights.com and there's a whole tab devoted to research and we keep some of our most, most recent assets there. In addition, we publish two blogs a week and follow those blogs that are on Tuesdays and Thursdays and those are the nice one data point snippet. So if you're looking for that one piece of information on sales coaching or you just want to look at something about forecasting, that's a great way to get piecemeal sizes of research. Well, as a sales manager myself, I could probably only digest one snippet at a time. <laughs> so, uh, now, I will say in, in defense of sales managers, all of that complexity comes to roost with them. And so one of the other things that it wasn't surprising, but it was perhaps a bit sobering and, and does defend sales managers is that we talk about where sales managers are spending their time. And right now, unfortunately, sales managers spend twice as much time on internally navigating the organization, generating reports, putting together their forecasts as they do coaching. So they get a bad rap, as, as you mentioned, for all the things that they know they need to do and don't make the time for. At the same time, in fairness to sales managers, they're getting a lot of pressure from the organization to focus inwardly. However, uh, I've known companies, billion-dollar companies, uh, talk to the sales manager and ask about a sales process, and they look at me like I just lost my mind. So that's a nice thing academically, <laughs> but we haven't defined it yet, and we're going to do it next year, right. or et cetera, et cetera. And I just, you know, just... What are you going to do? Are they going to lose their job because they don't have a sales process or are they going to lose it because they didn't make their number? Yeah, but sooner or later, not having a sales process, when it hits the fan, and it always does. No one, no one has a job. <laughs> yeah, it hits the fan, and this is what contributes to the 18-month tenure of an average sales manager. How does someone reach you, Celeste, and how does someone join 
CSO Insights to get that back in research and notes and be able to look at that large database. To get access to the larger set of data and the underlying statistics and things underneath it, you can go to the CSO.com website and there's a little form you can fill out and one of us will call you personally and figure out what kind of information that you're looking for. To follow more of the content that I uh, push out, I'd recommend following me on my LinkedIn site where I republish or link back to our blogs there as well as other researchers that I work with. And that is the best way to find me wherever I happen to be. Celeste Lunsford, thank you very much for taking the time today. You have an open invitation to come back and let's talk about sales enablement. Uh, would you like to do that in the future? Absolutely. It's my favorite topic. <laughs> oh, you research people. That is great. Celeste Lunsford, <laughs> thank you very much for joining us today. Paul, over to you. 